Good morning. Easter's past. Is it past? We celebrated again this morning, didn't we? He has risen. It's a wonderful thing. It's great to have you all here this morning. And today we're going to wrap up our series in Esther. Actually, we've got, I guess I should say, we'll wrap up the formal going through the book. And then next week, I believe we've got a sort of a recap of the whole book. And uh, am I, am I, it sounds like I'm on. And I think my clicker's on. So I think we'll pe- try to pass the uh, tech check. This morning, you know, I, I got up and, and I had this thing all done and was on beautiful, looked beautiful on my Mac. And I put on my PC and suddenly everything was italicized. <laughs> We've all been there. And I thought, oh my goodness, you know, well, the Lord was gracious. And then I had about three sources I need to put together so I could see it. And I got here and we got that all taken care of. So we are ready. Thanks to the Lord. Uh, Let's uh, open in prayer and then we'll start marching through this. Our Father, there is so much to be thankful this morning. We just had a service in which once more we remembered the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you so much. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the book of Esther. This morning we ask that you will open our hearts and our minds. May your Holy Spirit preside. May we be touched by the things that we need to incorporate into our lives. These things I pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Green one, right? It is on. <laughs> that worked. Did you make it work? All right. Well, we might have, we might have to count on that. What? Okay. Let's see here. No? All right. So I'll, I'll let you know. Okay. All right. So here we go. So here's what I'd like to do this morning. I want to retell a story. Now, you should know the book of Esther inside and out because you've heard it many times. However, in order to really understand what we're talking about today, which is chapters 9 and 10, we need to make sure we review that one more time. So we're going to do that. Then we're going to get to the text itself. So Esther chapter 9, the first half is about how things changed. Remember, all the Jews are going to be destroyed. But in chapter 9, we find out that the Jews weren't destroyed. Instead, of their enemies were destroyed. And then there's a celebration. So the last half of chapter 9, there's a celebration that's called Purim. And we learn a little bit about that and how it, uh, how it all came about. And then chapter 10, there is some accolades about Mordecai, who is obviously a star figure, not just in this story, but in the Medo-Persian Empire. So he was truly a, a great man, not just as a Jew, but second only to the king in his authority. And then we'll summarize. All right, here goes the story slide. Okay, and we're too far, I think. Nope, King, the one, oh, there, all right. Is that where we were? Okay. (laughs) You know, it is tough when the slides are this way, but we're going to fix that. All right, so the year is 482 B.C. The location is Susa. 
That's one of three capitals in the Medo-Persian Empire located about 200 miles west of the city of Babylon. The Medo-Persian Empire is the second of the four great empires that you may remember in the statue in Daniel chapter 2, namely the Babylonian Empire, the Medo-Persian Empire, the Greek and the Roman Empires. King Ahasuerus reign, the Persian Empire was at its grandest. In fact, there were 127 provinces ranging from the current African country of Sudan in the west to the current country of Pakistan in the east. That was a lot. Remember, there were no jets or anything like that. It took a long time to move around that empire, much longer than it would take for us to get around the world today. So the king Ahasuerus is more commonly known by his Greek name of Xerxes. As the book of Esther opens, Xerxes is in the midst of a six-month celebration to, quote, show off the riches of his glory and splendor and pomp and his greatness. And I read that immediately I trembled. What happened to Nebuchadnezzar? He ended up in a field, didn't he? And, uh, but um, nevertheless, six months. Now you read at the beginning of chapter there and you find the couches were made out of gold. It's big stuff. Big, big um, in its day, even today. Just incredible opulence. After six months, Xerxes throws a one-week feast for the people of the capital of Susa. So it's six months, then one week just for the folks in the capital. On the last day of the one-week feast, Xerxes wants to show off the beauty of his queen, Vashti, but she refuses to come. Well, that's not going to stand, and she's deposed. Well, now we've got a vacancy we've got to fill. So the search begins for a new queen with candidates coming from throughout the empire. Hadassah, or by her Persian name Esther, the lovely adopted daughter of the Jew Mordecai, both quickly wins favor within the harem and is ultimately determined by Xerxes to be the best of the best. The best ladies from all over the empire gather. Esther stands out. And about four years after that, those initial feasts, lots of preparation here, Esther becomes the queen. Mordecai, meanwhile, becomes aware of a plot to kill Xerxes. He reports this to Esther. The plot is confirmed and the conspirators are killed. Mordecai is given the credit in official Persian history. Very important point, and you'll see why. I'm going to try one more time. Okay, so we learn that, then we find out that Haman, Haman is promoted by Xerxes to be the position of his deputy, prime minister, whatever you might call it, number two in the empire. Haman is introduced as Haman the Agagite. Important point, the Agagites are descendants of Agag, the king of the Amalekites, had long been a thorn in the flesh of the Jews. First while coming out of Egypt, and then later after the country of Israel was established. God told Saul, he said, you need to wipe out the Amalekites. Everything, man, women, child, and all the animals. Don't leave anything. Destroy it. What did Saul do? Do you remember? Saul said, I got a better idea. I'm going to save the king. And you know, there's a lot of fine cows here. A lot of fine things. Let's keep them. That's what he did. Well, you, you find out that when that happens, you go back to that account and you find out that 
God at that point said, hmm, got some real problems with Saul. Strong words there. Okay. So it's interesting here that you find one more time the adage of Proverbs 14, 12, and so appropriate here is that there is a way that seems right to man, in this case Saul, and the end is the way of death. So if the if all of the folks, all of the Amalekites had been killed, would there be a Haman? There would not. Now, do you think Satan was aware of this? What does Satan want to do? Doesn't he want to stop the Messiah? So think about that as we go through the story here. So Saul's failure to obey God results in the threatened extinction of the Jewish people. Had that happened, it would have extinguished the line through which the Messiah would have come. No Jews, no Messiah. Yeah, significant. Disobedience. Saul had a better way. It was not a better way. Do what God said. It may have seemed severe, but when God speaks, do what God says. Now, more, Haman is promoted, and because he's promoted, significant guy. And so the word goes out that you need honor Haman. So Mordecai typically would sit at the, at the entryway into the king's court, and Haman passed by. And he, everybody went, bowed, except Mordecai. Mordecai was a Jew. He did not bow to anybody but God. It's the only person. Now, Haman was incensed. And, uh, in fact, he says, not only am I mad about Haman, I think we need to wipe out the whole, all his people, all the Jews. And so the text says, Haman was filled with fury, but he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. So as they made known to him the people of Mordecai, the Jews, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of the king of Ahasuerus, they cast pur, that is, they cast lots, before Haman, day after day, and they cast it month after month, till the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. Letters were sent by couriers in all the king's provinces with instructions to kill and to annihilate all Jews, young and old, women and children, in one day the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. Wow. Put yourself in their shoes. What do you think? Now, another point here. When they cast pur, what they really did, they cast lots, what they were looking for was the ideal day. So, day after day, month after month, they rolled the dice, or however that was done, and the most beneficial date was the date that was set. That's what they did. See, so they cast lots, that's what they did. Go to the king and say, you know, this is the lucky day. We can take care of your problems. That was kind of the thought. Important civics lesson here, Persian civics lesson. Once the king had issued a decree, it could not be taken back. In a similar way, you remember Daniel, who ended up in the lion's den. In spite of being King Darius's favorite senior ambassador. Why was that? Because the king had issued an order that the only person that could be worshipped was himself. Now, remember, this was sort of a conspiracy to do away with Daniel. There's a lot of jealousy there. 
And so that's what happened. And because he could not revoke the decree, Daniel was thrown in the lion's den. God was with Daniel. The next morning, remember the story? King goes, says, are you, are you okay? And he says, yes, my Lord has saved me. Daniel comes out, who went in the lion's den. And the story says that before they hit the ground, they were completely torn apart. Now, that's another story, but I'm simply going to show that this is, this is that, he, that was also a medio persian king, but that once that decree is passed, it could not be undone. Now, you know that. You're a Jew. What are you thinking? You heard this. This is pretty significant, right? Next slide. So, upon hearing the decree to annihilate the Jews, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes. There's great mourning amongst the Jews across the empire. Put yourself in their shoes for a minute. What would you think? If a day had been set several days from now where the government was going to kill your entire family, everyone, not just your immediate family, everybody in your family, and take away all your goods. Okay? Now, the one thing I said this afternoon is going to happen, what happens, we're done. Okay? Well, we're going to think about this until we get to that perfect day, right? And that's what's going on. How would you feel? Okay, that's where they are. That's where they are. So, Esther learns that Mordecai is in sackcloth. She's sort of protected, right? She's in the, she's in the palace. And he wants, she wants to know, why in the world is Mordecai my father, right? She's an adopted daughter. Why is he in sackcloth and ashes? Mordecai reveals Haman's plot and appeals to Esther. Say, go to the king. Let's see if we can save the Jews. And Esther argues back and says, to do so, I'd risk my life. I can't just go in and see the king. I have to be called before I can go to the king. And Mordecai says, Esther, you may have been installed as queen for such a time as this. So that you could appeal to the king to save our people. Finally, Esther agrees to intervene and says, I will go to the king, though it is against the law. I haven't been called. And if I perish, I perish. Chapter 4, verse 16. Esther goes to the king. She finds favor in his sight. And she requests that the king and Haman attend a banquet. At the banquet, Esther requests that the king and Haman attend a second banquet. On the way home from that first banquet, Mordecai refuses to bow to Haman. Haman is incensed. He orders a gallows 75 feet tall to be built on which tomorrow morning Haman will be hung. Now, hanging in this culture is not a rope, a noose, and this person hanging on it. It's to be impaled. So you take a big stake and you drive the person on that stake and you hang them up there. That is hanging in this empire. Tough stuff. Okay, that's what it is. All right, so 75 feet tall. But the king can't sleep that night. And so he says, someone come and read the chronicles of the kingdom. And they read the chronicles of the kingdom. And he says, my goodness, what was done to honor this person Mordecai who saved my life? And the guy says, nothing. He says, well, we need to do something about that. Next morning, Haman is in, the king is going, hmm, what are we going to do? What should we do for this guy? He says, who's out there? Haman. We'll bring him in. 
The king says, the king says, uh, uh, what would you do for a person who I would honor? And Haman's going, ah, that's me, me. Well, this is what I would do. I would get the king's horse, put on the king's robes, and then having a leading person from the empire lead him through the streets and say, this is what happens to a person who is honored by the king. I don't remember that part of the story. <laughs> okay. Um, so, so what does the king say? The king looks at Haman and says, well, then do this for Mordecai. Haman had got done building a gallows 75 feet tall on which to hang Mordecai. He came for permission. And before he can ask permission, the king saying, well, honor Mordecai. What an interesting turn of events. All right. So Esther then hosts the second feast. The king asks, what is Esther's request? Esther asks the king to spare her life. Remember, she hadn't told anybody she was a Jew. And, and, uh, and her people's lies. And the king's going, what? Who's threatening your life? What's the deal here? And Esther says, it's Haman. Who's at the banquet? Three people. The king, Haman, and Esther. And Esther says, this is a person. I'm a Jew. The edict has been issued. I am going to die. And all my people. And the king is incensed. Actually, the king is distraught. He leaves, comes back, and Haman's pleading on the couch of Esther. And uh, Haman walks in, or the king walks into that. And guess what? Curtains for Haman, right? Haman gets hung on the 75-foot gallows plan for Mordecai. Interesting, isn't it? Mordecai is then elevated to the number two person in the empire. Esther goes to the king to ask for an edict to nullify the earlier order to destroy the Jews. Slide. <clears throat> so Artaxerxes can't take back the decree to annihilate the Jews, but he works to counteract his previous edict by allowing the Jews to gather and defend their lives to destroy to kill and to annihilate any armed force of any people or province that might attack them, children and women included, and to plunder their goods. Okay, I've set the stage. There's a story. So now we're at chapter 9. Let's read that together. Now in the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar, on the thirteenth day of the same, when the king's command and edict were about to be carried out on the very day when the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain the mastery over them, the reverse occurred. The Jews gained mastery over those who hated them. The Jews gathered in their cities throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to lay hands on those who sought their harm, and no one could stand against them, for the fear of them had fallen on all peoples. And all the officials of the, and the provinces... And the satraps and the governors and the royal agents also helped the Jews, for the fear of Mordecai had fallen on them. For Mordecai was great in the king's house, and his fame spread throughout the provinces. For the man Mordecai grew more and more powerful. The Jews struck all their enemies with the sword, killing and destroying them, and did as they pleased to those who hated them. In Susa, the citadel itself, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men. 
It also killed Parshandatha and Delphon and Aspatha and Paratha and Adelia and Eridatha and Parmashta and Erisai and Ardai and Vasantha, the ten sons of Haman, the, of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews, but laid no hand on plunder. That the very day the number of those killed in Susa the citadel was reported to the king. And the king said to Queen Esther, In Susa the citadel, the Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men, and also the ten sons of Haman. What then have they done with the rest of the king's provinces? Now what is your wish? It shall be granted to you. And what further is your request? It shall be fulfilled. And Esther said, If it please the king, let the Jews who are in Susa be allowed tomorrow also to do according to this day's edict. And let the ten sons of Haman be hanged on the gallows. So the king commanded that this be done. A decree was issued in Susa, and the ten sons of Haman were hanged. And the Jews who were in Susa gathered also on the fourteenth day of the month of Adar, and they killed three hundred men in Susa, and they laid no hands on the plunder. Now the rest of the Jews who were in the king's provinces also gathered to defend their lives and got relief from their enemies and killed 75,000 of those who hated them, but they laid no hands on the plunder. This was on the 13th day of the month of Adar, and on the 14th day they rested and made that a day of feasting and gladness. But the Jews who were in Susa gathered on the 13th day and on the 14th and rested on the 15th day, making that day a day of feasting and gladness. Therefore, the Jews of the villages who live in the rural towns hold the 14th day of the month of Adar as a day of gladness and feasting, as a holiday, and as a day on which they send gifts of food to one another. Now, in the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, on the 13th day of the same, when the king's command and edict were about to be carried out, on the very day the enemies of the Jews had hoped to gain mastery over them, the reverse occurred. The Jews gained mastery over those who hated them. No one could stand against them, the Jews, for fear had fallen on all peoples. Fear of the Jews, fear of Mordecai. All the officials helped the Jews. The Jews killed 500 in Susa, plus the ten sons of Haman. The king asks Esther for her wish. She says to continue the same for an additional day in Susa and to hang the ten sons of Haman. Why hang Haman's ten sons? It's consistent with Persian custom. A conspirator's family was publicly killed as a warning to others not to commit similar misdeeds. Think of it. Go downtown. Everybody's hung up. Would you pay attention? <laughs> Probably so. Results. Enemies of the Jews are vanquished. I was scared there. I saw that one clock. It says 12 o'clock. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it's nice. You know, here I can choose the clock I want. So. <laughs> Results. The enemies of the Jews are vanquished. 75,000 men. Men. Enemies of the Jews are killed across 127 provinces. Additionally, 810 men, 300, uh, or 500, 310, right? Haman. Enemies of the Jews are killed in Susa, but no women and children, no plunder. Now, you remember, if you go back, permission was given for 
women and children, and plunder. It, it doesn't say they didn't do that. It says clearly they didn't do plunder. But there's no record that women and children were included. Okay, so there's a holiday then. Yeah, obviously you do this and you go, oh my goodness, we did it. Now think again. Would you be celebrating? The whole, it wasn't just one person threatened. It was the entire people. Why? Remember, they were all in judgment. They had all been uh, taken away to Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, and now Assyria, or not Assyria, but the Media Persian Empire is taken over. And if you remember Ezra and Nehemiah, some have gone back, right? But they're still in the empire. Yes. Okay. So they would have, you know, this edict would have wiped them all out. Okay, so that's where it's at. So holiday occurs. Slide. Uh, Harry Ironside, a famous commentator from about 50 years ago, he, he astutely states an interesting piece of logic, and I, I put it there for you to think about based on the story of Esther. He starts with a quote from Pro Proverbs 16, verse 33, which reads, The lot is cast into the lap. The lot, you know what that means, to cast lots or to <coughs> throw the dice or whatever it may have been. But the decision is from the Lord. How did they pick the new 12th disciple? They cast lots. They did. They did. Now, I'm not recommending this morning that you cast lots for your next decision. I'm not doing that. But what I am saying is that, you know, the lot that Haman cast was meant for evil. However, in God's economy, the lot turned out to be for his glory, didn't it? That day that was set, instead of a day of infamy for the Jews, became, became a day of glory for God. That's what happened. Now, Ironside goes on, he says, no wickedness can happen to us unless God permits it. True? If he's in charge of everything, if he's all-powerful, can something happen to you that is beyond God's control? Cannot. Cannot. So, he says then, if God is for us, who can be against us? I like it. Simple three lines makes a lot of sense. Sometimes we make it much more complicated, but there it is, folks. There it is. Now, it doesn't say you'll never have problems. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that in your walk on this earth, there won't be sorrow. In fact, James says you should expect it, and it will make you better. It will make you more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. But in the end, God is in charge. He wins. Another nice thing, thought, I think, is, do you see the king's trust in Esther? First time, fear and trepidation. Now the king's going, and Esther, what would you like now? Pretty neat. Proverbs talks about that uh, ideal wife. I read that and I go, can any woman attain to all that? I'm not a girl, so I can't tell you. But it looks pretty challenging. Nevertheless, the heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. I take stock a lot in what Sandy says. I do. Um, quite, quite a challenge there. Uh, but but uh, a, a neat testimony is you see Esther. Esther lived in hmm, uh, a, a country in a culture that hardly exuded Christian values. Hardly. Okay? But still, she was honored by Xerxes in, 
and respected for her opinions. And you see that in this book. Okay, so slide. So here's another thought. Many have argued that the latter part of Esther is about bloody vengeance and retaliation. Uh, contra to this, Chuck Swindle argues that the Jews model Christian self-control. Let's talk a little bit about that. Self-control is mastery over our personal desires. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. Not only does it not come naturally to most people in totality, meaning some are, can be very disciplined, but I dare to say that there are areas of their life that are probably not disciplined. If nothing else, it's about their, their relationship with God. So that in, in totality, self-control, I think, can only come from the Holy Spirit. The enabling work of the Holy Spirit, it is a gift. That's what we find in Scripture. Permission was given to destroy, to kill, to annihilate any armed force of any people or province that might attack them, children and women included, and to plunder their goods. Yes, did they have permission to do it? What did they do? They killed men, no record of women and children being killed, and no plunder. No plunder. <coughs> Huge opportunity, was it not? They go make, them, make this right. We have been wronged. We are going to get this right. What did they do? They took the steps required that God had given them to preserve a, a line for the Jewish people, for the Messiah. No plunder, no vengeance or retaliation, but defense to restrain evil governed by self-control. Key principle, the Lord is our defender. Now, we've all been wronged. Have we not? Have you not been wronged? Might have been something small. Yeah, no, yeah, I don't think the teacher got this right. I think this essay should have been given more, more points. But then there's sometimes where it was just, you know, didn't see the whole thing. We, we just were wrong. You know, it's not right. Why did this happen to me? Why am I have to go through these things? You need to make this right. Now, what does Scripture say about vengeance? Romans 17:22. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peacefully with all. Forget it. Forget it. God will take care of you. Yes? I think that's what it's saying. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Can he take care of it? We know he can. We know he can. Not ours to do. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If it is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. God intervened in the story of Esther and saved his people. <coughs> Let's see. Let's go on then. And uh, <clears throat> I'm going to do the second part now. So it has happened, and then there's sort of an outbreak of a celebration. Me too. I'd be celebrating. And Mordecai recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, both near and far, obliging them to keep the 14th day of the month of Adar and also the 15th day of the same year by year, as the days on which the Jews got relief from their enemies, and as the month that had been turned for, for them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into holiday, 
that they should make them days of feasting and gladness, days for sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. So the Jews accepted what they had started to do and what Mordecai had written to them. For Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had cast per, that is, cast lots, to crush and to destroy them. But when it came before the king, he gave orders in writing that the, his evil plan that he had devised against the Jews should, should return on his own head and that he and his son should be hanged on the gallows. Therefore, they called these days Purim and the term Pur, therefore, after the term Pur. Therefore, because of all that was written in this letter and of what they had faced in this matter, and of what had happened to them, the Jews firmly obligated themselves and their offspring and all who had joined them that without fail they should keep those two days according to what was written and at a time appointed every year, that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation in every clan, province, and city, and that these days of Purim should never fail into, fall, fall into disuse among the Jews, nor should the commemoration of these days cease among their descendants. Then Queen Esther, the daughter of Abihail, and Mordecai, the Jew, gave full written authority confirming this second letter about Purim. Letters were sent to all the Jews to the 127 provinces of the kingdom of Ahasuerus in the words of peace and truth that these days of Purim should be observed at their appointed seasons as Mordecai, the Jew, and Queen Esther obligated them and as they had obligated themselves and their offsprings with regard to their feasts and their lamenting, the command of Queen Esther confirmed these practices of Purim, and it was recorded in writing. <coughs> May I get a cup of water, please? Somebody? Thank you. I think Anita's got it back there. Okay. So we go from spontaneous to organized, right? Kind of broke out. And then, it, then the letters sort of say, "Let's we need to do this on a permanent basis." Now, remember, what are we celebrating? The survival of a race, the survival of a people. Big time stuff. Thank you so much. Mordecai sends a letter obligating the Jews across the empire. Purim. What does it mean? Pur, singular. Im, in Hebrew, is plural. Example. A cherub. An angel, right? Type of angel. What is the plural of a cherub? Is it cherubs? Cherubims. That's right. There's the I am. Okay. So that's what this is. This is plural for cast lots. That's what it means. Okay. The Jews propose that these days be remembered and kept throughout every generation. Okay. Slide. <coughs> Queen Esther then sends a letter. Words of peace and truth were a normal way a normal, formal way that the Jews open their letters. So with peace and truth is just, that's the way they open their letters. Here, they may have also made peace between the different Jewish communities. Remember, as they, as they um, dealt with the enemies, in Susa it was two days. In the country it was one day, right? So there's a little bit of difference here. And you see that if you read the text, you about, well, there's a country and so on. Perhaps peace between the communities. And then think about this. The words of the letter were written in peace and truth in stark contrast to the words of war and death in the initial decree that set a date to annihilate the Jewish people. 
Let's talk a little bit about the importance of memorials. And this is the reason I really asked to do this, um, preach this lesson. Um, I think this is really important for all of us. Examples. Thanksgiving. You remember when they first how Thanksgiving was established? The Lord's Supper? Yes? Yeah? Can you think of others? How about the memorials in Washington, D.C.? When you see the World War II memorial, what do you think? Why is it important for your children to see that? They need to understand that the world would be a different place if many had not given their lives in the cause of freedom. Memorials. Memorials. What is a gravestone? A memorial. It is. You read the Old Testament and they did something and they built a pile of rocks. A memorial. They remembered. This is what happened. The purpose of memorials. Remembering lessons learned and lives lived. Passing on our heritage and values to the next generation. Do your sons and daughters, will they understand what the big issues were in your life, in your country's life? That's a memorial. Turning tragedies into triumph. To say, this happened, we have moved on, but don't forget. Why not establish your own memorials? I think we don't do enough of this. And I'll tell you the one that comes to my mind is I was saved <coughs> as a little boy. I only know that because of what my parents told me. And it sounds great, but I, did, I don't remember that. I needed a memorial. I needed somewhere something that said, this is what happened. In my case, it was <coughs> apparently we're sitting around the breakfast table and I accepted the Lord as my, as my uh, Savior. Well, your parents all, did it happen? What happened? <coughs> got back to St. Louis. First thing I did when we got off the plane or when I met Grandpa was say, you know what I did? I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Now that's my testimony. Do you think there were times I doubted that? There was. I think for all of us, those children can do that. Somewhere written down, something carved in a tree. You take your pick. Can a picture be a memorial? It sure can. Isn't that what your wedding picture is? It's a memorial of the vows you took. It's a change in your life that was significant. Remember those things. Now, is Purim an important memorial for Christians? Isn't it an important one? Isn't it? What would have happened if all the Jews were wiped out? Significant. So, when you read the book of Esther, it's not just a story, folks. It's a key piece of the salvation story. That's what it is. It's a big deal. Okay. Another lesson here. It's okay to have fun. Now, we've been studying Ecclesiastes. You see a little bit of Ecclesiastes in there. <laughs> Lots of words of wisdom in there. Uh, very realistic. Sobering. True. It's okay to have fun. Rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. Doesn't mean things might not happen. They, they will. But the Lord says rejoice in everything. I have a plan. I'm working it out. It's okay. I got it. I'm going to do it. Christianity is not just about lamenting and heavy responsibilities. Solomon said it this way. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. So, if you got, <coughs> I can't quite say it like that. The book we're reading, working our way through. 
But it says, you know, don't worry about what's going to happen tomorrow. If you've, uh, if you've got a moment, let's have an ice cream sundae together. <laughs> uh, some merit to that. It is. And some of us spend all our time worrying about tomorrow. Oh, what's going to happen? If I don't save today, I'll die. Well, now, I caution you. I have saved, I've said some words about that, too. It won't stop. But nevertheless, I think both of those things are very important. All right. Mordecai becomes great. King Ahasuerus imposed tax on the land and on the coastlands of the sea. And all the acts of his power and might and all the, f and the full account and of the high honor of Mordecai to which the king advanced him, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of the Media Persia? For Mordecai, the Jew, was second in rank to King Ahasuerus, and he was great among the Jews and popular with the multitudes of his brothers, for he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all his people. The fact that he could tax is significant. Pretty impressive power to do that. Lots of different peoples, <clears throat> but it made it happen. A full record of Ahasuerus' deeds, along with a high honor, are recorded in the Chronicles of Persia. Mordecai the Jew, second in rank to Ahasuerus, very well respected by the Jews because he sought the welfare of his people. Interesting. I think these are good words. It doesn't necessarily mean there wasn't discipline along the way, but he sought their best. That's what he did. And he spoke peace to all, all his people. And in the end, God will honor, honored Mordecai. Remember the king's servants reported Mordecai for not bowing to Haman. Would Mordecai's words stand? What were those words? I'm a Jew. I don't do that. And they say, yeah, but, but you're breaking the rules here. Did they stand? The natural person doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. When he, was when he was reviled, Christ entrusted himself to him that judges justly. Isn't that a great picture, folks? Next time you think you've got problems, and it isn't fair, remember Jesus. Was it fair? Was it fair? And oh, by the way, did he have the ability to do something about it? He did. He did. But he entrusted it to the Father. Wow. Great stuff. Mordecai was great. Measures of greatness. <clears throat> God's blessing. No higher. You, know, you see someone who's blessed by God. That's impressive. You know, that's, that's a great thing. Now, it doesn't mean blessed with riches. doesn't necessarily mean that. But you know those who are gracious, who have a spirit, and you can tell <coughs> that they are, they are living with the Lord, living to become more conformed to the image of Jesus every day, and they are blessed. And that's a, certainly a mark of greatness. Protected the interests of the king. I think that's important too. Uh, you know, uh, did he have to? Could he have said, ha, you know what? Let's just let the king get killed. Did he do that? He didn't do that, did he? He did. Now, this is an evil empire. Daniel in Babylon. Joseph in, in Egypt. You think everything was right? Did they look after the interests of their king? There's no question about it. Yes. And so they were elevated, and they enjoyed that status. Did they compromise their beliefs? Did not. Daniel went to the lion's den. Did not compromise his beliefs but serve the king 
as Abel. And there's lots of scripture that talk about the importance of doing that. Sought the welfare of its people, spoke peace to its people. Uh, interesting comment there in, in Jeremiah 29, 4 through 7, and I'll read just a piece. You know, here it's talking about <coughs> uh, the, the Jews in exile. In, the, in Jeremiah, it reads, But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. So who empowered, who allowed the Jews and helped them go back to Jerusalem? Makes sense, right? So in Ezra and Nehemiah, you see the kings blessing that effort. So here, the, the challenge was not undermine the government, do terroristic things, say that. And that's not what Paul teaches in Romans either. You know, it's, it's unless it's a command of God that's being violated, it says honor the king, pay your taxes, pray for them. That's what we're supposed to do. Obey the laws. That's it. They did. They did. And here's another passage very specifically. Now, there, the people were sent into exile as a punishment. God did not forget them. And then God had a plan to bring them back in time. Slide summary. While God is never mentioned in the book of Esther, God's providential hand is very evident. Now, I want you to consider these facts. I told the story. Think about these things. Remember, God's not there. The law is not mentioned. Okay. Decision to hold a beauty contest to replace Queen Vashti. Mordecai overhearing the plot conspiracy to kill the king. The king's insomnia on the night before Mordecai's presumed execution. And he reads the, reads the law, right? And then we're going to honor Mordecai. This is the night before Mordecai is going to get, get killed. Haman's arrival at the king's court just as the king is trying to figure out how to honor Mordecai. Could have been someone else. Could have. But he was, he was, that was the one. The king coming back just as Haman is falling on Esther's couch. These are all key events in the story, but, but not knowingly caused by the human participants. This is God's providence. God sometimes can act in mighty ways. When he parted the Red Sea, unprecedented, yes? It was. Is God active in your lives today? I'd say so. You may not know it. There may not be signposts on the door. Things might be happening. When it all seems to be moving in one way, is that God speaking? Could be. Maybe he is ordering those events for you. Esther is a key story in our Christian heritage. No Jews, no line for the Messiah, no church, no salvation as we know it. Purim is a key feast in our Christian heritage, not just the Jewish heritage. Esther illustrates how to live in a wicked world with integrity and courage. I already touched on this a little bit. The Persian Empire was hardly a godly empire. Yet God used it to repatriate the Jews to their homeland, as seen in Ezra and Nehemiah. Even as Joseph and Daniel and Mordecai and Esther lived and worked in ungodly empires, their upright ministries brought glory to God and helped the Jewish people. Memorials. Talked a little bit about that. Could develop some whole, whole uh, sermon on that. Memorials play an important part in our lives. Key events consider memorial and then pass that on pass it on to your children the book of Esther also shows the folly of wickedness Psalm 2 
we find that the God Almighty laughs at the folly and the wickedness of those who plan against him. In, in the end, wickedness always loses. You can't cheat God. can't happen. You can't hide it from him. Remember as seen in Esther, in the end, God wins. Are you on the winning team this morning? Important thought. really is. Those of us who serve the Lord, those of us who know the Lord Jesus as our personal Savior, are on the winning team. You might have issues in your life. You may have challenges. But you're on the winning team. And you read scripture and you tell it tells you how it's going to turn out. Pretty exciting, folks. I'm glad I'm on the winning team. I am. And if there's anybody here this morning who's not sure about that, don't leave until we get that squared away. We want to do that. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for who you are. In a troubled world, in a world where there's so many challenges in our lives, in our country, we thank you that you are not gone, that you have a plan. Even as you took very interesting circumstances in the book of Esther and preserved the line for your son Jesus to come as a Messiah, we know you continue to act in your perfect way, in accordance with your plan. And that when the time of grace is fulfilled, we look forward to seeing Jesus in the air, meeting him in the air, to be forever with him. Our Father, we thank you so much. Thank you for the book of Esther, for what it teaches. Our Father, soften our hearts. Help us to continue to grow in your grace and to be more conformed to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.